This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So we are gathered here today to commemorate, to eulogize, right? To memorialize the NFL season that was, the 2023 campaign, a celebration of life, if you will, the season that was. A little too dramatic? Okay, it's just Cardinals Underground. Paul Calvi, Danny Sarek, Darren Urban, and it's good to see everyone here. Darren is under the weather. It's not one of those ploys like right after the Super Bowl or half of America calls in sick. No, Darren really is a little bit under the weather. Danny made it back from Vegas and made it to work on time. Boom, there she was, ready to go, and uh, we are ready to bring you this edition of Cardinals Underground. It's good to see you, Danny. We're glad you made it through the weekend. Sounds like Darren doubted your your, your attendance here this week. I'm kind of insulted you guys think that I would be such a degenerate that I can't show up to work on time Monday morning or out on podcast it two days after arriving back to town but now, thank you if you would have spent the weekend at the Phoenix Open you would no, have been considered doubtful that would have been the debauchery okay but Vegas that's nothing compared to the Phoenix Open and what was witnessed out there this past weekend yeah it looked pretty crazy <laughs> Darren were you were you at the Open I was no, no I, was not. The, okay. I, I don't even in the best of times that doesn't really I, I don't need to drive all the way out there and deal with a million people. We didn't see you on any of those videos. Uh, okay, so that's no. good. All right, so there we go. Uh, Danny, takeaways from the uh, – look, we all watched the game on TV, and okay, and we can go ahead and you know make comments on the, uh, on the commercials. Are we in agreement that the Ben Affleck – Matt Damon, the whole, you know, Dung Kings, you know, J-Lo and Tom Brady. Was that the best? Was that the hands-down commercial winner this year? That was, a, that was a that? pretty good one. That was a pretty good one. But I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't paying close enough attention. Come to on, Derek. Come on. Yeah, I guess that was the best one. It's interesting that because the Super Bowl commercials used to be so good and people used to talk about them for so long and just as much after the actual game that it became insanely expensive to purchase time for a Super Bowl commercial to where now everybody is just trying to be the next viral commercial. And I feel like with the exception of maybe two, none of them are even memorable or impressionable anymore. Yeah, I guess I'd agree with that. Like, you know, I I mentioned... Besides besides the Duncan one, which one even really stands out to you of being good? Maybe one or two where it's like, that was really bizarre. Why'd you spend that money on it? The couch potato concept was pretty good. Farming the couch potatoes, that was pretty good. I'm not sure. I don't even remember that one. And then... As much money as Homes.com spent on those, I'm still not exactly sure what they do as an operation, so that was a little confusing. I did like the Christopher Walken imitation. Yes, and that was highly rated, by the way, supposedly in the media research studies thereafter. There's there's one company, which I don't know if I, I don't think I'd get in trouble. It's definitely not a sponsor, but there's one company that is known for stealing like credit card information that uh, (laughs) I guess had enough money from doing so to have like two or three Super Bowl ads. So I feel like I need to call my parents and tell them don't buy anything from this company because That's they probably haven't because, seen that yeah. like my son this company that is point. there's like truly known where people buy things yeah. off this product and then within 24 hours get a call from their bank of like <clears throat> false what whatever it is of, yeah. of people trying to buy things on your card so mm. okay that's funny Maybe that's what happened to me over our July 4th vacation where our card was shut down. Maybe uh, one of my young punks tried to, to purchase something it's on that possible. site. It's possible. It's a brand like, that yeah. like for a hot minute was yeah. like all over TikTok. Yeah, okay. I, I wonder why. Um, what? If, if it's the brand I'm thinking of, it's, yeah. it's also... There's a connection there yeah, there's oh. a, based on the origin oh. there of the business. Origin yeah. country. Um, were you, did you stay in Vegas through the game or did you leave Heck before? No, oh. I left morning off. Okay. I made it home, unpacked, shower with about 
10 minutes before kickoff. How many people under the age of 40, by the way, know who Mr. T is? That's just a yeah, random that, question. That well, was, well, I didn't get that. I and, thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I honestly, I saw that and I was more excited after the commercial to come back from break and, and have Tony Romo talk about the commercial and not a single peep about it. I'm like, well, he's calling the game. Why would you not poke fun at the fact that he was just in a commercial? I don't know. That to me was a missed opportunity. By the way, Tom Brady next year as a broadcaster has to be better than Tony Romo, correct? I don't want to go off sawed off here, but I mean... I used to like Tony Romo as a broadcaster, but it does feel like it's kind of... That's the operative word, used, the uh, past tense. So, uh, look, here's the thing. Uh, Kansas City getting ready for the parade. The big question, will Taylor Swift show up at the parade? Once again, they've tracked her flight. It would be a 17-hour time difference because she has a show Friday in Australia. Can she, will she make the parade in Kansas City? Here's the more important question. What did you guys think of J.J. Watt's hairstyle? That was a thing on Good Morning Football. They actually threw it out on Twitter. Are you in or are you out? Out. Felt like I was back in elementary school looking at boy band pictures with all he was missing, honestly, was the frosted tips. Yeah, Casa Calvisi was out. Uh, My wife was definitely out. Uh, So... Yeah. Now, did he ever explain to anybody hit him up? Because, you know, on the, those shows. He just shows, pokes fun on Twitter of saying, you know, you think nobody will notice when you change up your hairstyle and people do, which right. props to him for owning yeah. it. Well, I mean, you got to do something to call attention to yourself when you have 123 million viewers on average and you're there pregame, halftime and postgame. I guess it's not a bad strategy. Maybe his publicist said, you know, you got to do something over there. And, you know, it's limited what your options are. He's also having to fight six other people on a desk to get his <laughs> point in in about yes. eight seconds. And he did. He got three turns. Most of the other people on the desk got two turns. He got three. He started and he ended. And if you know JJ, that was by design. He had a little game plan going in there. And But uh, props, to, yeah, props to the halftime crew. And JJ actually cracking that rotation as a rookie. There's uh, no doubt about that. So, all right, Danny, any other? uh, You know the big winner from Super Bowl week? The Sphere. Was that not the big winner? Really? Right? I mean, how much advertising did they sell? How much free publicity did they get on the broadcast inside and out? Uh, How could you not watch that and go, wow, that would be a really cool venue to go to? I'm guessing their ticket sales as if they weren't already sold out and or the secondary market probably rocketed exponentially after Super Bowl 58. Yeah, but when you consider how much you're going to have to make over the next, what, 50 years just to make up for what it costs to build the thing. I don't even know. I have no idea. So was it more than the Rams Stadium? That's the the benchmark at this point, $6 billion plus for SoFi Stadium when I think it was uh, scheduled to be about $3 billion, and that's where the Rams ended up and uh, ownership the, on that one. The Sphere, it cost $2.3 billion to build. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, dare I even ask how much it is to see you uh, 2 and get a ticket to that show, right? Well, supposedly, uh, when I was out there, I knew somebody who got a ticket last minute because I guess the ticket sales were dropping because I guess everyone being out there and then people not getting tickets. Hmm. So it's sort of like Broadway. You know, you wait to the day of and maybe I one guess. of those off-Broadway type deals. Okay, all right. So what is the biggest question in the NFL right here, right now? And we'll circle back to the Super Bowl itself. But as we stand in real time, what is the biggest question league-wide right now? And I'll start. How about the Bears? How about the Bears? What are the Bears going to do at number one overall? Are they getting rid of Justin Fields? Are they maybe going to trade him to, oh, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Steelers? Who all of a sudden look poised to do something monumental at quarterback, perhaps? Do you have any doubt they draft Caleb Williams? A little bit. A little bit. Really? But I do think they probably restart the whole rookie contract clock, and they probably So when with, you when you say you're not sure about Caleb Williams, you're saying they're going to get a quarterback. You just don't know if it's Caleb Williams, not that they're keeping Justin Fields. No, I think it will be Caleb Williams. As, as many doubts as I personally have in Caleb Williams, uh, I think I'm probably the outlier on that, and I'm guessing that he will be the number one pick overall, and he will go to Chicago. Even if Chicago traded down a spot with Washington – it doesn't feel the same as last year when you're talking about quarterbacks of you can still get a really good quarterback almost, you know, like the one and two quarterbacks that are drafted are really similar. It doesn't feel like that's the discourse this year. It really still feels like Caleb Williams pulling ahead significantly enough to where doesn't seem like it would make much sense for Chicago to trade with Washington where Cliff Kingsbury is now the offensive coordinator after spending time with Caleb Williams at USC. doesn't seem like that would really make sense 
for Chicago. There are two things that are going on right now that I think benefit the Cardinals when it comes to quarterback. In this draft, meaning they can maybe just maybe might get an offer they can't refuse at number four. Number one is something that was the word out of Mobile that was tweeted out by Daniel Jeremiah over Super Bowl weekend, and I have it right here. I believe we'll see four to five teams look into moving up for a quarterback over the next few months. Teams are not excited about next year's QB class. So next year, you know, you got a lot of prospects with the first name Jack and the last name Squat, so it heightens the urgency this year for teams to come up and get a quarterback. That could potentially benefit the Cardinals. Hasn't Deion Sanders already said his son's going to be number one overall? Has he, has he, I don't know. Hasn't I missed that. that. I missed that. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, I could I, be I wrong. Did, I'm I pretty did, sure no, someone in the Sanders family no, already claimed that. I, I did see that he, he, his son himself said he was better than everybody mm, else. Maybe that's class. what I saw. So there's one quarterback, Paul. That's good, okay. Uh, The other, uh, what we call QB rising, what we call this year's Anthony Richardson. Who's going to be the quarterback to come out of nowhere and go number four? So J.J. McCarthy seems to be climbing. The Pro Football Focus mock draft that was put out the day we're recording has him going number 10 overall. He's continuing to climb. I see where uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. has him as the fourth best quarterback in this draft and then you have Michael Penix who made a really good showing of himself at the senior bowl saw where former Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians went on the record and said he's a huge Michael Penix fan because he likes the downfield passing game he's got the big arm even though he has a long injury history I did not realize that Michael Penix had season-ending injuries four years in a row in college 2018, 19, 20, and 21, two of them torn ACLs. The other two, his season's ended with shoulder injuries. So Some that's pretty a, big red yeah. flags. First off, he had a six-year college career, and then four of those ended in injury. Uh, didn't even complete the season. But what's interesting is the mock draft put out by Chad Reuter on NFL.com where the Cardinals, wait for it, would trade the number four pick to the Broncos, who would take Drake May, and the Cardinals in return would get the Broncos' 2025 first-round pick plus a 2024 third-round pick. And then the Cardinals, according to his mock, would draft Malik Neighbors 12th overall. See, to me, there's no way I'm going from four to tw- – I mean, I guess that's probably similar to what they gave up, what they got last year. Is that what it is? I, I that surmise. feels like a big drop for that's all the picks you get. Especially if it's going to be a quarterback. Here's the problem, though. This is the one problem. If a quarterback is there at number four and teams want that quarterback, the most likely trade candidates are eight at Atlanta and then 11 through 13 when you get down to Minnesota, Denver, and Vegas. So, again, is that too far? So it sounds like well, I'm not worried so, about it. Sounds that like too you recoil in horror going all the way down no, to the no, middle no, of the no, first no, no, round. No, 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 Let me make this very clear. If they want to go down, that's fine. What I'm saying is, especially with all those teams that might want to move up, I want more than than a 2025. What, yeah, well, 25 first round, round and, and, and then it was and a, third, a third. That's third it this year. Yep. Yeah, I agree with Darren. I I think especially when you know it's going to be a quarterback who they are expecting could be a franchise quarterback. Yeah. Throwing a second round, throwing yeah. m- more than just first and a third. So should last year, with that in mind. Is any of that, what you just said, predicated on what happened last year? For the Arizona Cardinals, should last year be a cautionary tale for this year? Let me reverse engineer this. You moved out of number three overall, and you took that first-round pick in return. Now, stinking C.J. Stroud defied all the historical norms, and he took a team that had the worst winning percentage 2020 through 2022 combined all three seasons and somehow got them from worst to first, Okay. Every historical measure would have said, all right, that's going to be a top five pick. Instead, it's number 27. And then there's what you left on the board at number three, the eventual defensive rookie of the year in Will Anderson Jr. So should that play into this year's thinking, if you're a number four and a team comes calling, and for example, Marvin Harrison Jr. is there, don't overthink it. Don't try and overplay your hand. Just take the generational player that potentially is on the board. I don't know how correlated those two are because you're talking about a generational player. 
supposedly in Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't like the idea of making a decision with draft picks or trading capital, dropping back, based on what we saw from Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. Because, one, doesn't happen often that a rookie quarterback has the year that Stroud did. And, and also Will Anderson. It also, not to be a Debbie Downer, it also doesn't mean that they are going to perform at that level every single year. And also, it happens. I, I, I don't like the idea of making a decision on whether or not you want to trade back because Houston happened to luck out with two of those picks and they performed well in their rookie season. There's also different philosophies. Uh, the, the way that Houston was set up and the pieces they had, those picks made sense to them. The way the Cardinals are set up and how general manager Monty Awesomefort wanted to move in his first year at the helm makes sense for him to try and build and strengthen the trenches and get a long-term offensive lineman in Paris Johnson Jr. who had a good rookie year. And when you know your franchise quarterback, Kyler Murray, is going to be here and you want to give him protection, that decision still makes sense. It made sense then. It still makes sense in hindsight for the Cardinals. So I don't I don't like the idea of making the decision in the 2024 draft about trading back or or staying just to pick a player just because C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson happen to have good years with Houston. That's not going to happen every year. Now, I think that could be a different, completely different argument about if you want to stay put at four and take Marvin Harrison Jr. because you think he's that good. For pretty much any other wide receiver, I'd have no problem trading back and taking somebody who is still there who could also be graded high on the Cardinals board from the scouting department or taking a tackle. You have other options that not only work with what you need, but pair well with the strengths of this draft class. So I, I, I don't think they're correlated. I don't like the idea of looking back at how Houston's picks panned out and the Cardinals making a decision with their draft capital now based on that. I would I would agree in the standpoint that if you're making decisions based on how that trade turned out, that's not a very sound process in the first place then. I mean, I think you're telling on yourself if you did that. And I don't think the, that Monty Asenfort would do it that way. Now, the other thing that we don't know about is we're all making this assumption that the Cardinals and Monty Asenfort are going to feel the exact same way about Ma- Marvin Harrison as so many other people do. And we don't know that. And so that also might play a factor in how all this goes. And we haven't even talked about the possibility that Marvin Harrison gets drafted before four anyways. Yes, if he gets drafted before four, uh, uh, and I've said this before, that's not a calamity to me because that means a quarterback falls. And yeah, well, I think a team will come calling for that quarterback. I agree with they were there. Kind of feels like the Cardinals are in a good spot yeah. either way. They really are. I guess my question would be, is Marvin Harrison Jr. the only position player, the only non-quarterback who's worthy of the fourth pick overall? Meaning, oh. if he's not there or you're not down with Marvin Harrison Jr. at number four, then I do think you're more apt to trade out because there's a slew of offensive tackles. There's a handful of defensive tackles that you can get elsewhere in the first round are all pretty similar. I agree with that completely, of, of the needs and, and how deep at least those first couple of options at those two positions specifically, which also fit in the needs for the Cardinals. I, I would agree that if it's it's almost like Marvin Harrison or bust of you can stay there for four, and if he's not there, you can absolutely afford to drop back a couple of spots, get a good plug-and-play player ready to come in and get a, a little bit of draft capital. Are you talking about like if Harrison still is there and you decide to, to trade down? So then my question is, is who's trading up in that case? As good as Harrison might be, I don't know. Chargers? Well, I mean, I would do that in a second if you're okay with (laughs) passing on Harrison. It's like last year when we kept talking about the Colts wanting to trade up from four to three and getting something out of it and still getting Will Anderson, assuming that they were going to trade up for a quarterback, which... They didn't need to trade up for a quarterback because they end up getting who they wanted anyways. Yeah, there's no better scenario, right, than being that third team when the fourth team wants that spot, or in this case, the Cardinals, the fourth team, and maybe the Chargers want Marvin Harrison Jr. That would be my question, though: is if if the, if quarterbacks go one, two, three, who's trading up? I don't I don't know anybody's going to give up significant draft capital for Marvin Harrison for the same reason we're talking about the Cardinals being okay moving down and getting a different mm-hmm. receiver. I mean, look. 
there could be a handful of teams, for example, like a Bears team that trades out a number one and then they come back up to get Marvin Harrison Jr. number four. I guess my and we could debate that all day long. My bigger question is, at number four overall, do you think the price goes up, A, if a quarterback is still on the board? Because you know what? There's a quarterback surcharge. I'm sorry if you're coming up. There's going to be a quarterback kicker added to this equation. And number two, maybe uh, based on last year, there's more risk than originally thought in moving down and out of a top five pick. And because of that, and we don't know where that first-round pick is going to wind up that you're sending us. For example, Atlanta, if they get a quarterback that works, they have a lot of other pieces. Denver has a really good defense if they get a quarterback that works and some receivers. I mean, there are teams. The Raiders had a run at the very end. They get a quarterback. They have a really good defense. There are teams that, you know, if you take their first-round pick, you're risking 20 or above in the first round. So I wonder what those two things in mind if Monty Asifort needs and demands more this year than he got last year for number three. I, th- I would think that would be fair. I agree with you. There should be a surcharge if somebody's jumping up to take a quarterback. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing, too, is you're assuming the Cardinals aren't going to be picking very high with their own pick. I mean, the assumption is, is you're going to be making a jump enough where your pick is going to be a lot lower in the first round. Look, we could be we could be in for a wild ride to where Awesome Fort decides to bundle both first round picks, and after dropping back, right somehow makes his way back. I mean, look, I I feel like even after one draft, something crazy like that would truly not be out of the realm. I'm not saying that's a likely scenario, uh, but it does help, especially if you're going to be back, remembering that the Cardinals also have pick 27. But going circling back to what Daniel Jeremiah said, and he's not the only one. Uh, We interviewed Matt Miller from the Senior Bowl, the ESPN NFL draft analyst, and he said two weeks ago that was the word in Mobile, that the next year's QB draft class is poor, and a lot of teams are aware of that. So if you're a Pittsburgh right now, for example, you just parted ways with Mitch Trubisky, are you really sticking with Kenny Pickett for two more years? If you're you know, Denver, if you're – some of the other teams, a Seattle, not that Seattle's going to do business with a team in their own division, but if you're the Seahawks and Geno Smith was on a glorified one-year contract and now you have a new head coach and a new OC, is Geno your guy this year and next year? So I think there are some teams out there, some dark horses that could come out of nowhere with more quarterback desperation and need than perhaps we originally anticipated. I think that's a really fair point. Because yeah. so, the scouting department is already looking ahead, and for every team, they already have their eye on on players for next year for reasons like this of making decisions right now based on also what you think next year is going to look like. All right, takeaways from the Super Bowl. Speaking of quarterbacks, three-time Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes. There he was, and it was amazing because the AP threw out a stat that during the regular season, his numbers in the clutch, trying to tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter overtime. We're not very good this regular season. But has there ever been a better example of when a team needed to play its best ball? They were playing their best football, and that was Kansas City. that lost five out of eight, culminating in the jack stomping they took by the Raiders physically, not necessarily on the scoreboard. And it's interesting to hear Andy Reid after the game say that he actually texted Antonio Pierce in December and said, thanks. Thanks for uh, resetting that maybe we're not all we thought we were. And as a defending Super Bowl champ, sometimes the little things are allowed to slide and the veterans have to be reminded that little things matter and that attention to detail and the Chiefs learned the hard way. And there they were, 10 to 1 shots to enter the playoffs. And they went on the road and they defied all the underdogs in the last three postseason games. And now they're a two-time champ. What was interesting? Twice in a row, that is. Interesting as I thought about the two of you at one point watching the game because thanks well because at one point I I was thinking to myself when San Francisco they either had the ball or they were on defense trying to get a stop or unexpectedly in my head I was kind of cheering for San Francisco and it made me realize and I think more now in hindsight after watching the Chiefs players hoist the Lombardi trophy that Maybe I do have a little bit more Kansas City fatigue than I thought I did. And if you don't have KC fatigue, you at least have Kelsey fatigue, don't you? Come on, let's be honest. 
I, I mean, I think that's there. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I did not. But I just couldn't. There's just reminded just myself no it'll die down in a week yeah. after the parade, right? Once we start getting yeah. into combine mode, just, it'll it'll die down. I, I purposely walked away in the post game from the TV when it was his turn on the podium. I purposely walked away, and then the wife gave me a hard time because she had me profiled as a 49ers fan, and she said I was a sore loser and I needed to watch the entirety of the post game Super Bowl celebration. I tried to tell her I haven't been a 49ers fan in 30 years, and I didn't really have a horse in that race uh even though i grew up on that team and so but she just couldn't uh, stop from from needling me and and rubbing it in but i if i'm the 49ers i mean i'm really kicking myself just the series of inexcusable errors whether it's unblocked chris jones on third and four from the nine in overtime when there were two wide open receivers that forced brock purdy to get rid of the ball uh, you know whether it's gift wrapping Kansas City's first touchdown on the punt return gaff in the turnover. I mean, think of it, the extra point getting blocked. Think of everything that, that went wrong. Uh, you know, players not knowing overtime rules. That's a really bad look. Turnovers, running away from running the ball. I- right. Yes, the first three possessions of the second half, you're right. They went three and out each time, and eight out of the nine plays were pass plays. It felt more like... San Francisco lost to themselves rather than to Kansas City. You can't be Kyle Shanahan and not be sick to your stomach for a good month. And, And honestly, taking the temperature of that locker room from the outside looking in and hearing a very honest Kyle Juszczyk, an Ivy League guy, say he didn't know the rules of overtime, not only was that shocking, it really makes you wonder if a lot of those veteran players are going to hold the coaching staff accountable and culpable, not unlike that Seahawks well, juggernaut that lost a chance to repeat on a, on the worst play call, arguably, in the history of the NFL, not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch, beast mode at the goal line, and that tore that team apart because the defense always blamed the offense, and they were never the same. Can I ask a question, though? Go and ahead. This is one of the things that's been bothering me. But are you saying that the team is going to rebel because they took the ball first? Not rebel. I just think that they resent the fact that in their minds they might think they lost a championship ring based on decisions made by coaches and or Through the whole lack game? of preparation. Well, here's, here's the thing about we can argue all day about who knew the rules and all that stuff. In my view, number one, when overtime was starting, and I follow a bunch of the analytics people on, on Twitter and everything like that, the analytics say the decision to take the ball second or take it first, literally, like, it, it was such a sliver of an advantage to take it second, it was negligible. Like, there are, it, it didn't matter. Statistically, whether you took it first or second. Now, everybody's going to then say, well, Mahomes this, Mahomes that. Oh, okay. So if Mahomes goes and scores the touchdown, like you're just assuming he's going to. Well, by the way, we don't care about the 49ers defense. They're totally off the hook. Mahomes is going to score a touchdown no matter what, Kyle Shanahan. So it doesn't really matter what decision you make. Your defense sucks apparently so bad that you're assuming Mahomes is going to score this touchdown. But... Then he scores a touchdown, and then you have this massive pressure on Brock Purdy, a guy who's never been there before, to have to go down and do a Mahomesy like a Mahomes like thing and score that. T- like I don't. That's an argument to be made. I don't see why it's like this. Oh my God! I can't believe you didn't take the ball second. Like I don't. I don't see it that way. At the very least, it defies conventional coaching wisdom. For example, this is essentially the same format as in college football. And 90-plus percent of the time, if you win the toss, you defer in college football. Somehow, well, somewhere, I'm, all I'm, the college coaches have decided I'm gonna it's more advantageous to defer. And I would have deferred if each team was starting on the 25-yard line and not having to drive length of the field. This goes For me, though, this goes back to the same thing that I always argued about changing the overtime rules in the first place. Play some damn defense. 
I get it, but when Kyle Shanahan explains to the media that it was predetermined, predecided, okay. it, it wasn't a byproduct of he looked at his sideline and his, his defense was gassed and I'm going to take the ball first and save okay. my defense. It wasn't a byproduct of you know my young quarterback so he versus was prepared. the GOAT. You just don't like how he prepared. No, what I was going to say was his, his reasoning in explaining why it was predetermined was because he wanted the third possession right. when it truly would be sudden death. Okay. Now the Chiefs' response to that was... Okay, if you kick a field goal, we score a touchdown, game over. If you score a touchdown, we score a touchdown, and then go for two, game over. You're never going to see the third possession in any scenario because we're not going to let you see that third possession. Thank you for letting us go second. Thereby, we know what we need. Uh, again, I understand that. Our, our, but see, you can't, again, you can't sit there and say Kyle Shanahan was unprepared for the moment and then say, I'm not he saying he was, was unprepared. I'm saying it was the wrong decision. And I'm telling you that was that, predetermined. And I'm telling you the math was that it it wasn't. The math says that that it it wasn't the wrong decision. There was no wrong decision. People can say it's a wrong decision now. If Patrick Mahomes had thrown the interception, nobody would be saying jack squat about this. And again, that's the other problem I have is this feels very much like a hindsight type of argument for me. Just like just like the Lions going forward on fourth down felt like a hindsight kind of argument. And I get it. We had the same argument on the Lions and, you know, the whole thing where, you know, logic is so much more astute in the rearview mirror. And, okay, you know, um, in this case, all I'm saying is the Chiefs, were confounded by the 49ers' decision because that's not the way they would have gone if they would have won the toss. It is interesting. I, I do see – I could see both sides of, okay, right, if, if you do go second, you get the ball second, you know exactly what you need. I, I also – I don't know that I necessarily love this change. And going back to what you were just saying, Darren, of it – it lessens the importance of defense and places all of the emphasis and being deserving of a win on offense. And I don't I don't particularly love or appreciate that because winning a football game takes all sides of the ball. Sure, there are teams, there are games where you are able to rely maybe on one side more than the other, or they carry their weight, but in moments like that, you should be able to and you need to rely on your defense. It was interesting, this was the first chance we got to see this over playoff overtime rule change you know right in front of us of course happened in the Super Bowl I I just I I, I wish there was still that emphasis on defense and it, it just the fact is it's not anymore with this rule change I do think it'll be interesting moving forward and playoffs what teams decide to do based off this and and if they do see more of the value in going second and knowing what you need or or if you're looking more at the bench and you're looking at your defense or if your offense was hot or did they just score on the on the have a game winning drive to send it to overtime and you want to keep them on the field while their hand is hot. I'm curious to see if logic plays more of a role in those decisions moving forward. I'm I'd be fascinated, like you already said the Chiefs would have gone for two, which I do know that the math does say that. If you go second and the other team scores seven, you go for two. However, if if they go, and this this is one of the reasons this bothers me, this whole argument. Let's say that would have gone down that way. And and if it wasn't for the 49ers pretty much effing up the pass protection, they probably do get a touchdown there. The 49ers do. Yeah. So let's say they go down. So the difference between whether Shanahan made the right decision getting the ball first or second then comes down to whether the Chiefs make a two-point conversion? Well, okay. I don't know, but let me put it this way. The third and fourth and nine, where Chris Jones went unblocked. Yes. And busts through and forces Brock Purdy to get rid of it, and it's incomplete. If it's the inverse and you're running second, if you're second possession, now guess what? Instead of kicking a field goal there, you're running a play on fourth and four at the nine. And all of a sudden, Kyle Shanahan is going to the best play he has on his sheet at that very moment. And if I'm a 49ers player, I'm asking myself, man, I would have loved a shot at fourth and four from the nine. One more play instead of having to settle for the field goal. So, yeah, I, I, so I, to, me, to me, how can you be a player and not think, okay, we left one play out there on the field 
that could have won us the Super Bowl. But we that, never had a chance to run that play because we had to settle for the field goal because we took the ball first. Why would that play be any different than the the punt that you screwed up? Like again, I understand what you're I'm saying. I'm saying it's a series of it's a series but of gas. I'm not putting that just, one. To me, this is the dumbest argument. That's like sitting there saying one play changed everything. One play didn't change everything. You had you had uh, Valdez Scantling run backwards when he had like a six yard gain and law end up losing four on the play. And the 49ers had them stuck at second and 14 and couldn't get a stop. I'm not putting the decision uh, anywhere ahead of you know the blown uh, punt return, that gift wrap, the Kansas City's first touchdown. There's a whole series of gaffes. What, I'm going to come back to my original point. I'm wondering if the locker room is going to hold the head coach accountable and culpable for this because he now has a track record of blowing double-digit leads Two in Super Bowls, one in an NFC Championship game against the Rams. Yes, you can blame Joukowsky Tart for the dropped interception at center field. Just hold on to the football. There's a lot of things. But I'm just saying, I wonder if the 49ers locker room, it's going to be divisive, just like it was once upon a time with the Legion of Boom. I don't I don't know if, if it will be divisive. To, to me, a locker room that feels like that could be more so the case with how their season ended would be New Orleans. And, and that weird way that their season ended and then their head coach basically going and throwing his players under the bus in the in the press conference that to me feels more like a scenario I think if anything for the 49ers when you're talking about Kyle Shanahan players might just say you know what the 49ers have been good they've been dominant they've been close haven't been able to get that final push and I think maybe you're going to see more so of and not being divisive players going elsewhere pending free agents saying you know what maybe this is not the place for me to win. When you've got all the pieces and you can be dominant in the regular season, can't really find a way to win it all, maybe you won't see as many of those star power free agents finding their way to San Francisco. Maybe somebody maybe. like a pending free agent in ASU alum wide receiver Brandon IU going elsewhere. But, but see, that to me, again, that's a completely different thing. And they, they, I, I don't think that's based off off the decision. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Like, I, I want to be clear. On, I, I'm, I'm saying more big picture of, right. of losing. That's not based no. on the overtime decision. I, I, I think one, I, I think completely apples and oranges when you start talking about what Seattle did on the goal line and anything that happened with the 49ers. I, I don't even think that's close of a of an uh, argument the situation uh, might not be the same the game situation but i'm what i'm saying is the locker room blaming the head coach yeah, I is similar i don't think that's the common denominator I, I if if that happens in this situation then the 49ers never had a chance to win super bowls anyways also, in my opinion because then you're you have the wrong locker room and and i just i, I just think that ultimately somebody's going to lose i mean literally this came down to the very end of a 15 minute overtime and it's like Kyle Shanahan's the worst coach of all time, and I, I, I'm just stunned by it. I understand that he he blew leads. I get it. Uh, once upon a time, everybody said Andy Reid was a loser that couldn't win a Super Bowl too. True. I I think the difference is Seattle. When we think about it again, it's not just one play to necessarily win or lose it, but that is that is one play. And what we're talking about is a decision of going first or second when you have the ball in overtime, and that's a series. Of plays where we're Seattle, we're talking about that final play. You're on the goal line, where the decision here is. We're not talking about a play call that Shanahan made or something like that. Where we're talking about either way, whether or not you deferred or you got the ball, you still have to stop Patrick Mahomes. You, you right, like it. I, either way, you're still needing a series of stops from your defense, and that to me is kind of the difference of the the two scenarios. And, and also Seattle. The Legion of Boone and Russell Wilson, that whole thing was fracturing long before that play, too. Look, in hindsight, maybe it'll just be, look, uh, we lost to Patrick Mahomes. That's the bottom line. Patrick Mahomes with a game on the line, went 13 plays, 75 yards, 8 for 8 passing. He's up there. He's changing pass protections. He's checking into different plays based on your defense. He might be good, Paul. He ran for a pair of first downs, right? Eight yards on fourth and one. Then he had the big run and 19 yards to set up the game when he touched down. So, you know, in the end, it's just, hey, we were the latest team to get victimized by Patrick Mahomes. And we did have a discussion on the Red Sea Report about, man, did you – did you notice anything that maybe the Cardinals can borrow? You know, Patrick Mahomes is a singular quarterback, but if there's one of the few people on the face of the earth who have 
somewhat of a similar skill set, it would be Kyler Murray. And some of those run-pass options they ran on key downs, third and fourth downs, where you got to have them and those run-pass options. I mean, I couldn't help but think of a Kyler Murray keeping a defense honest. And some of the other things that they're able to do with, with Patrick Mahomes. And, and I also think of the progress he made with his receivers. They led the NFL as a receiver group with 44 drops in the regular season. But in the postseason, pretty much flawless. At least Patrick Mahomes made it work. Didn't have. What has happened since they got rid of all pro Tyreek Hill? They've gone back to back. Two Lombardi trophies. It was funny, too, as I'm watching the game, and and I, I hate to go back to your Kelsey fatigue, Paul, but it felt a lot like when the Cardinals were in the Super Bowl early on when Kelsey wasn't getting any catches, the same thing with Fitz, and then all of a sudden you look up at the yeah. end of the game. Yeah. Obviously, Kelsey didn't have quite the game that Fitz did in the Super Bowl, but it was the same kind of thing. You look up and like, wow, he had a way better game than you thought he did, you know? Well, Kyle Vandenbosch made the point that the loss of Dre Greenlaw was felt the most in covering Travis Kelsey and if you remember back to the second game Cardinals and Niners Trey McBride had a big 30-yard chunk catch early in that game when Fred Warner was on him and then what did the Niners do they put Dre Greenlaw on McBride the rest of the game he did a much better job so that was costly there's no doubt about it that was very costly because there was Kelsey after one catch for one yard and telling the media at halftime he said yeah I got to stop playing like a jabroni his word and then he said in the second half boom he ends up with nine for 93 on the game it it is kind of interesting to talk about what you could kind of take from that offense, but again, there's so many things. There were things that were playing out, like that fourth down run pass option. Obviously, that's something. Love that concept for Kyler Murray. Love it uh, in the in the red zone. Love that for Kyler. But I will also say that there's so many things that Mahomes does off schedule that yes. you, you no, just you're right. can't. You're right. I mean, and and look. I still remember I go back to it was the first mandatory minicamp of Kyler Murray's rookie year, 2019. Patrick Peterson comes into the locker room and he's fuming and he's like, you, you know, it's a competitive thing. I mean, nothing was on the line, but they were competing offense and defense. Pat, what's going on? What's wrong? He's like, these baseball quarterbacks are killing me. And that's a direct quote. Mahomes, Russell Wilson, now Kyler, just the different arm angles. Be the ability to throw off platform, you know, nobody is Patrick Mahomes, but Kyler does have some of that ability to do some of those sort of throws. And Jim Almohundro during the Red Sea Report had played the highlight of the James Conner one-handed catch against Philadelphia. Don't forget, he was backpedaling and throwing off his back foot with a man right in his face and put that right on the money in the back of the end zone. So, I, I just I was watching and thinking. Is there any application to what the Cardinals are doing? And also wondering, those cryptic words by Jonathan Gannon, whether it was for real or not, I don't know how real you took it when Jonathan Gannon in his final press conference said, we're going to tear this offense down. Now, I don't think they're going to put it up on blocks and rebuild the whole thing like you take a car in your garage, but I do wonder what else they're adding or transitioning from year one to year two because think of everything you couldn't do in the offseason with Kyler a year ago. He wasn't available. And now you truly know what you have in Kyler Murray, and then Kyler conversely knows what this offense is all about. So what does that mean this offseason as you go ahead and you evolve the offense? To me, when I hear tear down, I feel like the offense was kind of already falling, right? It's not like you're having to do a lot to really tear it down and, and build it up. You have, you have some good pieces to build around with Kyler Murray, with James Conner. Having Michael Carter, that that took a good amount of time to figure out because he wasn't acquired till late in the season, needed a couple of weeks to get him acclimated. I feel like you have a pretty good idea of what you've got in the backfield. Also with Amari DiMercato on third down as your running backs, you now have a good idea of Trey McBride and a true number one tight end. And did the coaching staff see enough from somebody like Elijah Higgins, who made the transition from receiver to tight end this year as a rookie as maybe more of a blocker? You do have some of those pieces. I think there's some some good pieces on the offensive line. You could even stay with Yelda Froholt as your center and, and get by and work on other pieces. So, yes, tear down the offense, but I think in the sense of now you've got an, enough of the pieces to know where you want to work around building it back up. And and the key is no secret is wide receivers, and that's that's where I think needs the most work. I don't know about most significant because it's a big old question mark at left tackle with DJ Humphreys now having to rehab an ACL 
What do the Cardinals want to do at left guard? That was a revolving door all year. But wide receivers is the the most glaring. There's like a red flash siren, everything, when you're trying to build up this offense of that is the key. The, the thing is, is when you talk about like what we saw in the Super Bowl and what might be there, like I, I don't disagree with what you were just saying, Danny, but I just right now my head just keeps going back to what are they going to do defensively? Who's covering the other team? Who's rushing the passer? Like offensively, I think they can get better, but if they don't get extremely better defensively, it's a moot point anyways, right? I think the under. We're just talking about tearing down the yeah. offense. Yeah, I know, we're, yeah. We're, you know, if we're going to flip to the defense, I mean, the underrated part of that Kansas City team was their pair of cornerbacks. Yes, I mean McDuffie and Snead. Those guys are really good, really good. KC doesn't have an elite pass rush, although they do have an elite defensive tackle. Dot dot dot. Chris Jones, and I know both the GM and the head coach Andy Reid of Kansas City have gone on the record after the Super Bowl saying we got to get that deal done, but. It's a lot easier said than done. So a lot of people wondering, okay, he's got a couple of rings. Now he's looking to cash in. Could the Cardinals be a player? I don't know. But if you're looking to rebuild the defense and you're looking for a Hall of Fame defensive lineman to teach a bunch of young guys, you could do a lot worse than Chris Jones based on what we've seen the last few years. But if you are in that rebuild transition era for the Cardinals – one, is the summer Chris Jones is going to want to come? And two, is that going to be worth spending the money it would take for him to come when you are going to have to have money to build every other aspect of this defense that you need? That would be great. I don't know how realistic it is to get not only somebody like Chris Jones, but Chris Jones himself of, one, is this the right spot for him at this point in his career? And and how close the Cardinals are or are not to having the pieces they need to have long-term success. And is it worth spending the money when you've got a lot of pieces you need to bolster up on this defense? I think I keep getting a lot of questions in the mailbag of like, okay, what specific defensive players might they go after? Free agents in general. And it's just, it's so hard to know right now because we are, we're, we're right, we're outside the combine, and whether people are supposed to or not, that's oftentimes when information starts to be exchanged over what might be there for a player on the open market. And until we know for sure, like, like you said, like, I think the Chiefs would really like to find a way to keep him. And if I'm Chris Jones, if I can get paid enough, I'd rather stay. Yes. So and go for a three peat. Yes. Think of all. Think 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 of how you could cement just your endorsement yes. ability, right? Your post playing career ability with that sort of profile, playing with Mahomes. And so ultimately, like I want to get a lot closer to mid March when free agency actually starts to actually think about who the Cardinals might be able to chase that isn't on their own roster because I do think that there's going to be a handful of these guys that makes some sense for this team one way or another, especially defensively, that just are not going to be available by the time we get to there. So if you go beyond Chris Jones, to Danny's point, I do think that's a salient point. If you're going to spend 20 to $30 million a year on a defensive lineman, is this the point in the timeline of the reset of the Arizona Cardinals where you would do that? Because typically, if you're going to spend that sort of money on a single position player along the defensive line, usually that would be a team that's a defensive lineman away from competing for the Super Bowl. By most accounts, Cardinals aren't there yet. So, okay, does that make sense at this point in the timeline? And I get that. So, with that, you know. But then again, it is a serious, dire need. Yes. Absolutely. You're right on that. I mean, so, all right, you know. And and you have to start that rebuild somewhere. And we all know what happens when you can get that one guy and then there's a trickle down through the rest of your defense. It's sort of of unlike, I don't know, you tell me if there's an app comparison or not. D-backs made a run to the World Series last year, right? First half of the year, their bullpen was awful. They got the closer. And then everybody else fell into their role. The eighth inning guy, the seventh inning guy, the long relief. Everyone else found a role after they got the guy, the closer in that bullpen, and boom, they took off from there. I would sort of look at that akin to football. If you can get that elite pass rusher off the edge, if you can get that game record, a defensive tackle, Aaron Jones, Aaron Donald, a Chris Jones, that type of dude right there, then all of a sudden, guess what? It's amazing how the rest of your defense sort of falls into place. Well, then, then you are making the argument 
of what she oh what Danny was just talking about, which is they are close because if you can get one guy and everybody kind of clicks into a place, then you're saying that you you have most of the pieces. You just need that alpha. Yes, I mean you need it now. I mean I know you need yeah. the alpha. Yeah. The question is is question is can you get two to three good years out of that player? Right, and that that thing is I I want to be clear. I am very well aware that you're going to have to spend money. This is the point where the Cardinals are going to have to spend money. You're going to have to get veterans here. I've said that. That's what I think is the defense, specifically that side of the ball, is where you need to spend a good amount of your money on free agents and bringing bringing in veterans who play and practice the right way and are game wreckers in, in whatever position they're playing in. Chris Jones specifically is just an interesting player of I don't know if a situation like here in Arizona bodes well for him and what he wants to do in his career. So, all right, look, uh, you go into this point now. Now you also have the combine, right, which is really where all the free agency starts. Does it not, Darren, as a guy who's been doing it for two decades? I mean, that's where the conversations start. Technically, they're not supposed to, but yeah. yeah. And so, okay. Anything particular to this year's combine? Anything? Uh, preparations are beginning. Uh, you know, Cardinals will be out there. They have 11 picks in this draft, obviously. And based on last year and everything we heard from Monty Austin for it, they value the interviews as much as anything, correct? I mean, I, I have yet to find a coach or a staff or a personnel department that isn't going to say that. The medicals and the interviews are the most important thing. The rest of them... It's nice to have, but they want to talk to these players and they want to check them out medically. As we were talking about off air when we were talking about Michael Penix and all the injuries he's had and how that might impact stuff. But ultimately, yeah, we're, we're in that final run up and it just seems so weird to me that we're, you know, you finally get to the end of the season and, and now the combine's right on top of you. And I mean, obviously the Cardinals have been away for a little bit here, but we're about to like get going in earnest real quick here see th- there is no off season in the nfl it's just game season and non-game season is what it is and by the way um before we officially usher in 2024 uh is there any uh, umbrage taken with the angry run award winner the ultimate award winner in nfl honor speaking of james connor who we referenced speaking of patrick peterson whose name come, came up earlier in this edition of cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation there he was, James Conner, one of the finalists, and Kyle Brandt did his whole shtick in front of the whole theater and on live TV, and it's very well done, and he's uber-talented, the whole thing, but ultimately it went to Najee Harris, the Angry Run Award winner, and the Scepter El Grande for 2023. Would have been nice for James Conner to get it, but he didn't. That's... I, re- I really thought using the word usher was your segue to finally talking about the halftime performance. Here we go, Danny. Here we go. That is the segue. What'd you think? What'd you think about it? Hmm? First, I want to hear what the two of you thought so I know how to properly rebuttal. I barely paid attention. Mm. Any opinion I'm about to give is really uh, courtesy of our colleague Jay, who uh, gave me an unbelievably detailed breakdown of the last 20 years of Super Bowl halftime shows over the lunch table earlier today. I couldn't believe Jay really had him. I said, where does the Bruno Mars halftime show rank of all time? And he said, second. He said the year before, Beyonce put the gold standard out there, and then nobody wanted to do it, according to Jay, the year after Beyonce. But then Bruno Mars stepped up, and he said, give me a shot at it. And he said, in his estimation, Bruno Mars would be number two in his power poll the last 20 years in Super Bowl halftime shows. So I'm just going to go ahead and bogart his I also really liked Rihanna. But my point with – here's what I thought about Usher. I liked it. I grew up. Young, but listening and loving Usher. I didn't love the performance. It felt like two different performances. I appreciated Usher incorporating Vegas and his Vegas residency with, you know, some of the costumes and things of that nature. The first part of the performance was just kind of all over the place for me. I I didn't really love that, but I did love when it kind of transitioned to the second half and he brought out Alicia Keys and Ludacris and Lil Jon and Jermaine Dupri and and used everybody and was singing those classic songs and doing what Usher does best and just commanding the stage. I really did like it. I didn't particularly love it. Um, I just like when I think you start to look at overall the production value of the costumes and the lighting and the camera angles and the choreography, all of that. It it wasn't one of my like top, top favorites the way Beyonce or Bruno Mars or Rihanna was. 
But I liked it. I wasn't, you know, hating on it where people thought it was absolutely horrible. Um, and by the way, if I saw correctly, the viewership peaked at the halftime show. That is where the viewership was at its all-time highest in what was a record-setting telecast. So I will say the uh, biggest disappointment of it was the rumors of Justin Bieber being one of his cameo artist guests did not come true. And Justin Bieber was in the building. So that that disappointed you on a personal level, it appears. I'm not even I wasn't even a huge Justin Bieber. Let me explain this to you. Usher yes, dis- please do. Usher discovered Justin Bieber when Justin was like ten years old singing acoustic guitar on a street curb off YouTube. Whoa. And helped make him into who he was. So when wow. Justin Bieber went on his first big world tour when he was, I don't know, fifteen, like he was performing with Usher and Usher had a major influence on Bieber's career and so everybody kind of thought that it would only make sense for Justin Bieber who hasn't really performed in the last couple of years to make his return and perform with Usher at halftime and then everybody saw that Bieber was in attendance at the Super Bowl and then he did not come out and perform that was disappointing it's good all these pop culture things I've learned here in the last couple weeks you know like for example with the passing of Toby Keith rest in peace I did not know that his label signed Taylor Swift as a 15 year old high school sophomore that was her first record deal. I didn't know that. Speaking of halftime shows, talking about stuff that I might have remembered in the moment, but I did not remember all these years later. Um, in 1993, I believe, Fox had the show In Living Color with Jim Carrey oh, yeah. and, the, and the Waynes Brothers sure. and everything. And they did a live telecast of that show at halftime. That's Fox. And the Super Bowl was on CBS, so they timed it up and they did a live show of theirs at halftime and everybody watched it and that's when the NFL decided our halftime shows have to be a big deal they got Michael Jackson the next year and then ever since then is that's why we have these giant shows fun fact the year that Michael Jackson was the halftime performance my dad had Super Bowl tickets that was the very first professional football game my mom ever went to and she said nothing will <laughs> to ever the Super Bowl? top it yes when Michael Jackson performed where was that what, what, where that was, was in it? Pasadena I believe Holy wow! Man. So I've been, uh, yeah. So I've been that. That was the cowboy, Cowboys. I was say that was the yes, Cowboys' that heyday. Was ca- yes, and that then was and then just to continue the story, uh, in ninety, it would have been February of ninety four. So that Michael Jackson must have been ninety three. Okay. Because February of ninety four, which was about a month before I was born, my mom was on bed rest, so she wasn't allowed to travel, and was upset that my dad still went to the Super Bowl to watch the Cowboys play without her, because obviously she had a great time the year before. So that's why I know Michael Jackson wow. must have been in '93. Got it. Okay. By the way, did they announce the Hall of Famers at halftime as well? Is it did they didn't they parade them out at some point during halftime? I or might no? have missed that. I don't know about halftime, was it, but, but oh, it was NFL Honors where they brought yeah, them yeah, out yeah. at the very end. Oh, that's what it was yeah, the yeah, night yeah. before. So because there was Dwight Freeney, and uh, there you go. still remember him showing up at the Greenbrier for the first that's time. That's right, the right? Greenbrier baby. Like <laughs> walk into the, the locker room, and like is he here? Is he here? There, Dwight Freeney, right over there. That turned out to be a really good signing. That was a really good signing, no doubt. And I mean, just his confidence level and the spin move, right? Yes. I mean, he's you know, he's like, look, I'll use it on anybody, anytime, at any point in the game. And his confidence level, he just smiled that smile and said, here it comes, try and stop it. I think it's probably fair to say Dwight Freeney would have been in the Hall of Fame even if he hadn't played for the Cardinals, <laughs> but it, it still was a good part of the story there with eight yeah. sacks and 11 yeah. games or yeah. whatever he had. It's like, like the Mariano Rivera slider or whatever. What was his go-to pitch, right? His one pitch that yeah. put him in the Hall of Fame. Cut fastball. Caught fast, fastball. There you go. That's what Dwight Freeney had. I told you all about the theory online of the colors of the NFL Super Bowl logo yes. predicted, and I know that there wasn't a – purple team baltimore that was in the logo however oh boy the new orleans logo color scheme is very oh, heavy no. on the red and the green so are we predicting a cardinals jets super bowl oh, jesus wow Perhaps. okay okay red and green or it just means it's going to be yeah. played on christmas well i think it it's a little more likely that we would see a cardinals jets super bowl than a super bowl on christmas darren probably by the way, um, speaking of games, uh, let's see here. They announced that a 2025 game will be in Madrid, Spain. Interesting. Also, did you see where the owners voted in December? I missed this to authorize up to eight games internationally each season. So they're going to expand, and it's happening immediately. Wow. Five games this year, three in London, one in Munich, 
one in Brazil. Now, Philadelphia is going to host in Brazil, so Cardinals are not going there. However, Cardinals still have a chance to play Carolina in Munich, still theoretically have a chance to play Minnesota in London. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, they just went to London in 2017. No, hang on. Chicago played in London in 2019, and they're hosting this year in London. And Minnesota was in London in 2022, and they're going to be back in London in 2024. And so, you know, look, there are more and more international games, and so teams are going to be going to these international games with more and more frequency. So really 2017 wasn't that long ago for London, even though two years ago, obviously, the Cardinals went to Mexico City. We are coming to a time where every team is going to play internationally once a season. Do you think the league is taking into consideration all the Cardinals underground international fans and who wants to see us do a live podcast overseas? That's right. British Bird Gang, the German Bird Gang was at a game this this year. Yes, you're absolutely right. That should come into play Mm -hmm. when deciding if Arizona goes abroad and where we go, in my opinion. By the way, if you're looking at a 2025 in that game in Spain, they say the host most likely will be an AFC team because they have the extra home game in 2025, the AFC. But but the stadium in Madrid, they've been getting it ready for like three years. They reconfigured and renovated the whole thing to accommodate NFL football. Like, Spain is all in. I've often said that. Spain is all in. <laughs> so just get to know that. That's, uh, it's Start a, practicing your Spanish, Paul. That's right. So, All right, there you go. Uh, anything else? Uh, we skipped over what Travis Kelsey did to his head coach on the sideline. Ugh. I mean, That's being, I feel like, so blown out of really? proportion. I don't know. I, you, you know, the head coach is the third rail. All the years I've been down on the sideline, I haven't seen anybody front up a head coach the way that Travis Kelsey did. I, Coordinators and assistants, yes, sometimes they'll bear the brunt of a tirade. But the head coach and the play caller? Doesn't it feel different because it's Travis Kelsey of all players and what he has done for that organization and essentially the offense revolves around him and Patrick Mahomes? That's the that's the only thing to me that feels a little different. I think about when everybody is right, like nobody has a problem when, when Tom Brady was doing it. People had a problem when Kyler Murray did it. I just it, to me this this feels like I believe it of Andy Reid saying essentially kind of shaking it off because it's Travis Kelsey. Anybody else or any, you know, I, I just, it feels different for some reason of their relationship and what Kelsey means and whether or not it's fair. I, I think he's above every other player, which is why if, if anyone he could have reacted that way. I don't necessarily think it was appropriate. You're still a leader, right? You still need to keep yourself composed in that manner. I, I I'm just going to say that I'm good with whatever Andy Reid, however he wants to interpret it. And we don't know that he didn't, at some point, even though he's pl- publicly playing it off, we don't know he didn't sat, sit Travis Kelsey down one-on-one in a quiet room and said, don't you ever effing do that again to me. Yeah. So, I mean, if that happened. Although I will say this, interestingly, I had a friend who put on Facebook a article about basically saying, here's the problem I have with it, is you've drawn in all these new fans because of Taylor Swift that are following you because of Taylor Swift and now you you weren't a good role model. Now, I, I, I know what you're saying, but the argument of this person is, you know, Danny Sarek, you're whatever you are, 29 years old, you're not a 13-year-old girl that is now paying attention to all this. So Travis Kelsey now has to live his life and how he – conducts himself every second of doing his job because of Taylor Swift's fans. And they might not even end up together. And he is playing a professional sport where you have to be aggressive and you have to be physical. And it is on the biggest stage that you are trying to come from behind and win a game. And he is one of the best in his positions to play. And he is not allowed to express that emotion because, heaven forbid, a 13-year-old girl sees that and thinks, Oh my gosh, Taylor Swift. Mm, don't know if that's the person for you. No, no, no. I not don't. About that, that. that wasn't. He wasn't saying had it anything to do with whether Taylor should be dating him. It's just that you're now in front of a lot more people, and 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 here's, here's, you you just said it was inappropriate. So you can't sit there. Here's and my counter argument. Okay. If that's how people feel, why are there players who have actually been proven to have been caught or or what's the word I'm looking for? There are players in this league who have been charged with 
domestic assault or violence. Yes, so why are true. they allowed to play in the league? But the moment that Travis Kelsey, which you're right, it, it wasn't appropriate to get in his coach's face. Why is that what people are harping on rather than maybe the players who are actually putting other people physically in danger and are allowed to keep getting paid and keep playing the game? Well, why is it Travis Kelsey we're focusing on then? Well, one, because it just happened in the Super Bowl. And number two, I don't know if those are mutually exclusive. You're assuming the people that are arguing against Travis Kelsey didn't also argue about those other people. Okay. Well, I'm not saying put handcuffs on, on Travis no. Kelsey. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that just kind of smacked of the uh, don't you know who I am moment where maybe the ego ran amok a little bit. I mean, let's face it, Kyler got hammered pretty yeah. good when he did yes. it to Cliff. Yeah. And, and that was, so why wouldn't yeah. Travis Kelsey get hammered? And that was my why next, shouldn't that, he get you know, hammered? You know my, the my saying, winning saying, solves everything? Uh, winning absolved Travis Kelsey at that thought, moment. Yes. My thought, right, my thought of being blown out of proportion is when I'm seeing people because they are tying it into Taylor Swift. Do you want to feel some type of way about it because of his ego or a player or undermining your head coach? That's fine. But don't feel some type of way about it for the sole fact that you're trying to defend a pop star and wondering whether or not she's dating a good person because of no. those two moments. I, that's why I felt it was being blown out of proportion because that's what I have seen online. Of I people. don't. I don't have a problem with that argument. Although I'm going to say this: this is what happens when you date the biggest star in the world. I mean, I, I don't. You don't get to. It's for me. It's just like it's just like if you're a pro athlete and you you don't get to say I don't want the attention. It doesn't work that way. You get the attention. So how you deal with it is how it's going to be presented. And, and you have every right to be upset that he's being treated in a certain way as a as just the other people. But this idea that it's not going to be in under the white hot spotlight. And let's also face it, it's not like Travis Kelsey doesn't invite that white hot spotlight, whether he's with her or not. I mean, he does every commercial under the sun. He wants all the attention, so it is what it is. I mean, I'm looking right here at pictures of fans of Taylor Swift wearing t-shirts. <laughs> One t-shirt reads, Karma is my tight end. Karma is the guy in the Chiefs. And then here's a fan and she's wearing a t-shirt, Go Taylor's Boyfriend. I have no problem with any of that. So, no, I have no problem. I, I'm just saying he's benefiting from from all that. By the way, do, have we got an answer yet? Is she going to be at the parade or not? I mean, we got pressing issues right now, as do uh, Taylor Swift and uh, exact. The win also actually also absolved yours truly, Paul Idiot Face, of maybe the dumbest question. I haven't heard Paul Idiot Face before. The, <laughs> was uh, that on the? Was that? On the... I was trying to understand who were the other luminaries and celebrities in the suite with Taylor. So the wife and daughter were explaining to me who some of the yeah, people were. Yeah, I have were. a theory on one of them, but that's not, so, this is not the time or place. And they said they said Ice Spice, and I said yes, I have a thought on that. So wait a minute, that's not one. We can talk about that off air. Unfor Ooh. Well, unfortunately, I I made I wondered out loud if that was one of the the Spice Girls. Like, and then I did the math. So wait a minute, the Spice Girls. A daughter were like, of a Spice Girl. I was gonna say that's no. yeah. She looked much older She's than that. So, and I was told at that point, Dad, stop talking, which is what I'll do right now on Cardinals <laughs> Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.